All right, the NFL never stops. We're all over at Football at Four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Jeff Mosher's with us today as we will take a look at a lot of Eagles NFL conversation. As always, during Football at Four, Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, at Broads81, at Mike Gill Show. Give us a follow and, of course, play along. Ask Mike and Broads coming up in about a half an hour from now. But first, Football at Four with Jeff Mosher here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Mosh, what's up, buddy? What's up, Mike? How you doing? I am doing well in the middle of this pandemic. Better than I thought I would be making out at this point. But uh, I don't know. Before we get to some Eagles stuff, um, should we be excited and uh, anticipatory about the potential of having mini camps here in a couple of weeks? Ooh, that's a tough one to get excited about because I'm afraid that, you know, we're living kind of day by day. I mean, we, all of us, no matter what profession, no matter what we're doing, in our livelihood. And I also feel like there's a lot of uncertainty. We're hoping and we see progress. We see states reopening uh, sports now in New York. I believe Pennsylvania, though, has not reopened to sports yet. If I'm not mistaken, I haven't heard Governor Tom Wolf say specifically that Pennsylvania is. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. I think you're right about that. Yeah, it does feel like we're inching closer toward what we want, but I, I look at it like the NBA deal, right, where everything was kind of in an uncertain trajectory we didn't know what was going on and, and then all of a sudden one guy get it gets it and everything just completely shuts down right so i would caution anybody who says yes it's back we're, we're we are making progress it seems but i feel like any one kind of turn of events could put the genie all back you know into a lamp and that would probably be really disappointing and deflating for a lot of people yeah, so it, it's, it's, like, it's like being a philadelphia fan you just don't get your, two, your hopes up too high right well it was interesting because you know it seemed that the nfl has so cavalierly just been like eh, we're not stopping the draft we're going to play with people in the stadium we're going to start on time and for them to kind of suggest that eh, you know what we might even have mini camps now what do you think about that like it just seems like if they're going to come out and you know insinuate that it's that they don't intend to be told they're not going to get it done yeah, you know, the NFL's not dumb, right? So uh, although it may come off as cavalier, and I agree with you, uh, at least very curious, and, and some people have even said downright arrogant, <laughs> uh, I don't think they're doing this without at least having a lot of planning going on behind the scenes. And I've already heard Troy Vincent come out and talk about, yes, we are planning for uh, full stadiums in September when the season starts, but he said we are also planning for half full stadiums, three-quarter full stadiums. So – you know, without having enough information, like I appreciate planning, at least on their part, for every single type of scenario and hoping for the best. I think we're all at a point where we don't look to the NFL to dictate how we live our lives, per se. So just because the NFL says we're planning for, uh, you know, a full stadium season doesn't mean I think that the consumers, us, media, anybody, fans, are just like brainwashed into thinking everything's hunky-dory and great. Maybe there's a, a segment of the population that will, but I, I, the NFL is following the leads of the experts. That's what they say. They're talking to health experts all the time. They don't do anything without consulting the experts. So those, those are the leaders that we're trying to follow at the moment. All right, Jeff Mosher, Football 4, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Jalen Rieger's come up a lot in the last couple of days, mainly – uh, you know, there was a couple of things. Uh, Pro Football Focus ranked the top wide receiver situations for rookies. 
Uh, he was ninth on that list, meaning what situation that player is walking into and how he fits into that offense. I thought that was a little low on that list being number nine. I think that the Eagles are going to find a lot of different ways to utilize him. So how do you see uh, Jalen Rieger's role uh, basically playing out in Philadelphia? What's the plan for Rieger? Yeah, I like how you phrase that. What's the plan, right? Because that was that's kind of the title of the last Inside the Birds podcast with me and Adam Kaplan. And I got some information on this, almost not looking for it. I was more looking into what we were just talking about. What's going on right now with the entire team as it's, you know, fragmented by the shutdown? And how are they getting their studies in and what's going on? I think you and I had the discussion a couple of weeks ago. I was saying that early on, this was a complicated pro- uh, process. You have all people, you know, you're, you're talking about the whole team, the rookie free agents, the draft picks, the first, I mean, 80, 90 guys, right? And you're all trying to get these guys within the position to talk to their coaches through a Zoom. I mean, just, I'm sure everybody's tried a Zoom and had 10 or 11 people on it, and it can be a, a cluster, you know what, at times. And so there was some difficulty there at the early uh, onset of what would have been spring camps, getting everybody together. That was the feedback I was getting. So I was kind of looking into seeing if that process has improved. And with Jalen specifically, I found out that he's been doing, uh, just like everybody else, the Zoom. Uh, they have more Zoom meetings than I thought. It's You know, they have an 831, uh, a 931, and there's a break. Then there's another one. And with Jalen in particular, he's meeting with, obviously, the wide receivers coach, obviously having a session with the uh, assistant wide receivers coach as well, but also with Doug Peterson and also with Howie Roseman. In fact, either Doug or Howie has been in contact with Jalen at least once a week on Zoom. And what was told to me um, by someone really close to the situation was that they've articulated that their plan for Jalen is to figure out different ways to get the ball in his hands. He is not going to be a guy that they just line up in one spot and throw the ball to him. I mean, there are plenty of wide receivers who are like that and who are very good. I mean, Deshaun Jackson is one of those guys. He lines up at the Z and he runs his routes from the Z and he's very successful doing that with that speed. And when I say Z, I mean, you know, on the right side, split right. Uh, Jalen, they would like to play at the X opposite Sean Jackson, but they also have plans to put him in the slot to capitalize on his explosion in space. And it was told to me that they've got other plans, creative plans to get the ball in his hands that we'll have to wait and see. But you know what they did with Nelson Aguilar back, uh, you know, when he was playing well and they would use him on jet sweeps and wing counters. And, you know, so, so I think Andrew said it with you yesterday. Uh, if you look at the year Debo Samuel had last year, uh, kind of comparable in that he had 800 receiving yards. And I think about a hundred 50 to 200 rushing yards. I think that is something that we're looking at with Rager, as far, at least as far as usage, getting the ball in his hands from the X, from the slot, as a running back in jet motion. Remember, they brought in Rich Scangarello, who is a disciple of the, of the uh, Kyle Shanahan system. So a lot of things using um, disguised motions and misdirections and just being able to get a guy like Jalen, who has a lot more speed. Well, I don't say a lot more speed, but he's got more speed than Debo Samuel uh, to get, get him the ball and get him in space. Inside you start an article off by saying, in many ways, Jalen Rager reminds me of Jeremy Macklin. What exactly do you see? Well, I was trying to figure out, you know, the Eagles have had so many different types of wide receivers that they've wrapped it over the years. They've signed like an Alish- a big physical Alshon or Deshaun, who's 170 pounds, you know, on a good day. And who did Jalen kind of remind me of, not just from a body size, but a situation? 
And if you look, you know, Jeremy Macklin was a guy coming out of Missouri who had a lot of speed. In fact, most people thought he was going to be a top five, top ten pick. But Oakland, I think, that year went with Hayward Bay. And then Jeremy started, uh, you know, slipped a little bit down to the 20s where the Eagles were able to trade up and get him. Um, Jeremy is, I believe, 5'11", 205. Rager is 5'11", and I know they're trying to have him play it right around 200. So uh, 195 to 200. Um, Jeremy came to the team when things were going well offensively and just about to start to get better. You know, Deshaun had been a rookie the year before and showed what he could do. Brent Selleck was a weapon. Uh, Brian Westbrook was a weapon. Shady McCoy was drafted the same year. So the Eagles were really starting to come up offensively, you know, in, in like kind of the, the second part of Andy Reid's coaching career there. And if you remember, that team was setting record year after year for points scored uh, during that time frame. And now Jalen enters where you're getting Deshaun Jackson back, ironically, and a uh, good quarterback in Carson Wentz, good offensive line, good offensive philosophies, and good offensive coaches. We, we, we killed the Eagles last year, Hunter, for – you know, scoring lethargy at times, but remember that they, they were third in in uh, red zone and fourth in, in third down percentage. They were a, a very good situational offense. And so you put Jalen on the field with Miles Sanders and Goddard and Ertz and Deshaun Jackson, and you recognize there's a lot of a lot of playmaking potential there if everyone's healthy. And so I see a lot of similarities in both speed, size, and the situation that they're coming into. Uh, Jeff Moser is with us. Football at Four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Uh, what about where the running back situation is now? We saw Hyde get scooped up by Seattle. We saw the offer that Seattle made Freeman, and that would seemingly take him off the Eagles board. Uh, so is a veteran running back still in the mix, or do they just say, you know what, we'll go with what we got? Well, I, I, some of that depends, I think, on whether or not Defonte Freeman kind of wises up and realizes that you know, his best days, while maybe they're still around, they haven't been proven for a couple of years because he just hasn't stayed healthy. And he needs to realize that we're on the brink of becoming June and he's still unemployed. And most teams now already have their slotted number one and number two running back. So whatever money he's looking for, if that if that's the issue, and, you know, Adam Kaplan has talked about it, then he's going to eventually either find himself jobless and sitting out the year or he's going to decide, I want to play football this year for a price that I don't want but works for that team. And so if he lowers his demands, I still think there's an opportunity for the Eagles to bring him in if they want to take that chance, uh, you know, knowing his injury history. They really haven't done that a lot, but they do need uh, that a lot this year uh, with who they brought in. But they do obviously have a need for a number two running back. So there's an opportunity. But if not him or and it's not LaShawn McCoy – I think what the Eagles would do is say, look, we have candidates. We have Corey Clement. We have Elijah Holyfield. We signed two rookie free agents that we like. Um, maybe, oh, we have Boston Scott. So, you know, the whole dart throwing thing that we talked about with the draft where you want to really excel at a certain position like wide receiver or a certain trait like athleticism, and you start drafting numerous types of those players. And, you know, if two miss but two hit, at least you got two functional players that's the philosophy they take in with running back if they don't add anybody we have names we have guys we like we, they're here for a reason and now here's their opportunity to to step into that role um i think Corey clement to me is the one who would benefit the most if he can stay healthy because he's you know a 210 pound running back he's got that downhill style he saw what he can do as a rookie when he did stay healthy he was an incredible story i think he's probably the most equipped to be 
a number two running back who could be the number one running back if Miles Sanders were to get hurt if he could stay healthy. And that obviously has been an enormous if with him for the last two years. No running back thrives without an offensive line. And I know you just had on Trey Thomas on Inside the Birds TV breaking down Andre Dillard. What was your biggest takeaway from that? Well, you know, it was a great video, uh, Hunter. Thanks for, for bringing that up. I hope everybody checks it out on our YouTube channel, uh, Inside the Birds YouTube, because Trey kind of talked about not just Andre Dillard, but the entire just that coaching philosophy, the rest of the line. Uh, he went into slide protections and how they make some calls. So it was really an enlightening conversation with him. He, he I thought, was very fair with Andre. I think he, he pointed out what he felt Andre needed to get better at, and that's hand usage, uh, getting his hands up. An offensive lineman, specifically with the inside and the outside shoulder, you know, that's really important how you're punching and uh, how you're striking the defensive end come at you and your stance and getting out of it. He felt that there were areas where Andre Dillard was um, – was hurt last year in that regard, just being a rookie and not having that seasoning. But also, as we know, the Eagles trying to play him at right tackle a bunch of times where he's never played before and how difficult that was for the kid to really pick up. So, uh, But on the other side, he did feel that you know his run uh, blocking was better than maybe people give him credit for, and he did say that he deserves the chance to be the starting left tackle in 2020, even knowing the, the shadow of Jason Peters is still kind of hovering around. Yeah, that Jason Peters thing's interesting. I came across this, and, you know, Pro Football Focus does what they do, and some people like it, some people don't. Uh, but they named Jason Peters the most clutch player at his position, not only at left tackle, in the entire league. In other words, in the fourth quarter of a close game, he's the best player on the field. Still, at 38 years old, he was their best player on the field. And it's like, if he's 38 years old and he's still graded out as the best player not only at the position in the league in the biggest moments and he wants to play again how do you say no to that that's that's a very tough spot that the eagles are up against yeah that first of all that is a really interesting statistic i don't know how you measure clutchness in an offensive lineman yeah uh, well whatever uh, whatever they do to grade their offensive linemen, I guess they grade them in the fourth quarter of a game that's within a touchdown and whatever grade comes out in those plays and he graded out to be the best player. Wow. Well that's fascinating. Uh I think that speaks to you know, Jason Peters and his talent level and what he's been able to do at an age where most guys are on their couch. Um but I you know, does that merit him coming back again? Honestly, there are some guys, Mike, who just, you know, they're going to play at a certain level regardless. But, you know, Michael Jordan played fairly decently for the Wizards when he came back. I think he was an all-star that, that first year at 38, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it, it felt like Michael Jordan could just play till 50 and be have some kind of impact on whatever team he was on. But eventually, you have to cut the cord. You've got When you replace a guy like the Eagles have done, you've got to give that guy, Andre Dillard, a shot. So I'm very confused by the Eagles' strategy if they bring back Jason Peters before the start of camp. They do it after the start of camp. Maybe it's because three weeks into camp they watched Andre Dillard and they thought, man, this guy really did not make the jump from one to two. You know, maybe it was the fact that they, we, they didn't have the OTAs and everything. But they may feel like we just have to bring in Jason because I'm just not confident in, in Andre Dillard right now. But if they sign him before camp starts, then 
I, I just don't get it. I don't know what's going on. By the way, Peters allowed five pressures in 114 pass-blocking snaps in presser situations, which was the best in football. So when it comes down to it, when they throw the ball late in the game, he gives up the least amount of pressures of any tackle in football last year. So for the people who think, you know, you get mad when he has that one penalty that sticks out, he's blocking mm-hmm. the guy in front of him pretty well still, even at this advanced stage. Jeff Mosher, football at four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Let's, uh, real quick, the linebacker situation here. Um are they going to go to yeah. camp with what they have here? Uh, I know Mark Barron's still out there. He's an interesting guy because he was a safety, and they like those guys who kind of cover and are smaller. Um, do you anticipate that there will be a veteran player at that position here, or is TJ Edwards and Nate Gary the two guys that will get uh, be at the top of the depth chart when we get to camp? Uh, I do anticipate, well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to say yes and yes. I do anticipate them adding a veteran. I know for a fact that it's not lost on them that when you look at their collection of linebackers, they're mostly young, mostly unproven, you know, very little blue chip talent there. And they know they're not going to get a blue chip talent in, in free agency, but it's always helpful to have someone who's got some kind of resume in the league. You've seen them do that the last few years, whether it was LJ Ford or Zach Brown. Uh, or even bringing in Nigel Bradham a couple of years ago when they needed needed a body. So there, there's an opportunity there, and I do believe they will bring in a veteran. Now, does that veteran make the team? We'll have to find out. I mean, it's not again, it's not going to be someone who's got like three or four Pro Bowls under their belt. It's going to be someone who's going to be able to compete and see if they can win a job over some of the younger guys that the Eagles have relied upon. But I'll tell you this, uh, one thing I've found out recently in my homework is that one guy that they really like, and you've talked about him a little bit, Mike, is that Duke Riley. So they really like his athleticism. They really like what he, what he, you know, the fact that he's already been with the team for about a year, so he knows the defense. And I think a lot of people looked at the Jatavis Brown signing and said, you know, that's our guy. Jatavis Brown is going to be, you know, if we're in three linebackers, it's going to be, uh, you know, T.J. Edwards, Janae Gary, and Jatavis Brown. But I'm going to say Duke Riley will probably get as much of an opportunity as anybody else to be that third linebacker or maybe even that second linebacker in nickel because T.J. Edwards really isn't a coverage linebacker. So you're going to have Gary, who's a better coverage linebacker, as we know, than a tackler, and then an open spot for somebody to be the nickel linebacker next to Gary. You did mention one name, and that was Nigel Bradham. And the more and more he goes unsigned, I just wonder if they sign him just just in case. But it, it does seem like it's not a high possibility. I'll tell you in my what someone told me uh, from the team, and it's a zero point zero percent possibility. <laughs> and now, now when someone tells me that, I always say, "Man, I've I've, I've heard that before." And there's always right, that that door that you leave open. But the reality is, uh, while while Nigel was um, you know a, a well liked player and respected, he had a few things go on with the team over the last few years that I think finally made it run its course. I mean, we we knew about the Cabana Boy thing in Miami a couple of years ago, and then the, getting the gun through the airport uh, charge that he had. And then last year, I think it was last year, right? I remember Jeff McLean reporting on the Sunday Inquirer where he left the team or didn't show up to a practice, and he said he was sick, but that he didn't notify enough people, and Doug was not happy about that. So, to me, that was probably strike three out of the three things that I mentioned. And I just don't see any opportunity or open door here 
for Nigel Bradham to be an Eagle again. A couple questions from the uh, Ask ITV mailbag that uh, we will be using throughout the uh, Football of Four segments for Jeff and Andrew. And tomorrow, by the way, uh, Adam Kaplan uh, will be here. So uh, today, let's uh, throw one your way, Jeff. And these are from listeners of both Ask uh, Inside the Birds, or excuse me, InsideTheBirds.com, Football at Four. And uh, let's go to uh, Jeff McNally's question. He says, do you think the Eagles are in a win-now uh, or win in a few years mode? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I, I, I feel like we talk about this a lot, but they, I, I, sometimes people have a hard time kind of grasping it in its entirety. I, the Eagles have never, ever said that they were going to rebuild and have never said that they don't want to put a product out there that they think won't win a championship. They, they, most NFL teams try to do this. I mean, outside of, say, like the Browns when they were – when they were clearly tanking or the Dolphins. But most NFL teams who are well-run know that, you know, when they've got a good enough quarterback, they're going to try to win it. But there are also times where the roster gets a little old and you need to turn it over uh, and you need to do it in a way where you're still competitive. So, uh, I mean, if you look at the Eagles a couple of years ago, right, they win a Super Bowl and they know that they've got an open door because they still have players like Malcolm and they still have players that had Chris Long at the time, right? They make a trade to bring in Michael Bennett at 32, right? Because the window's open. They're trying to acquire as much talent as possible they can win this year. But you can't do that year after year after year after year because you had three drafts in there where you only had five or six guys getting taken. So their goal is to win, but they didn't make any kind of moves that are like bringing in a 34-year-old or 32-year-old pass rusher. You know, the oldest guy they probably went out and got was Darius Slay, and I believe he's 29. So... They're trying to be competitive, and they signed a Javon Hargrave to a big deal, and they're starting to add you know, young quality players to the team through the draft and what they did in free agency and trade. But they're also trying to win. And I think if you look at their roster, you could say, you know what, they're the defending NFC East champs. Their roster right now, when healthy, looks better than it did at the end of the year when everybody was banged up. So they should be a team that competes to win the NFC East. And when you're competing to win a division title, you're competing for a Super Bowl. So – those things can be done. It's been done by other teams, the Patriots, the Saints. I mean, you know, you look throughout the uh, the well-run teams in the league, and you're able to compete while you're turning over the roster at the same time. This Ask Guy to Be question is from Alex Rowe on Twitter, and he says he's a huge Carson fan, but what area does Wentz need to improve on this year? Ball security obviously has to get better, but is that coachable? I think it is. I think ball security is definitely coachable. I mean, it doesn't matter what position you play. I mean, you go back to Tiki Barber. He came into the league with fumbling issues. And, you know, even though he loves to throw Tom Coughlin under the bus afterward, I mean, Tom Coughlin, at the time, he praised for helping him helping him cure him of those fumbling issues that he had. Um, and I think Carson, I, I think it can be coached, but it's also on the player to kind of drill it, rep it. It helps if he's not getting hit from behind and doesn't see it coming, but it also helps if you kind of sense that pass rush and get rid of the ball quicker and not try to throw the ball down the field all the time, which is something that we've criticized Carson for in the past. But I, I'll bring up a player, and it's funny because Brian Westbrook was just on social media talking about it. Shady McCoy has always held the football like a loaf of bread in the open field, and you would think he'd probably fumble every, every third time that he carried the ball the way he does it. He doesn't. He doesn't fumble a whole lot. Brian Westbrook joked about how he's trying to teach him how to secure it high and tight, and Shady basically ignored him and has had a Hall of Fame career holding the football that way. 
he can get away with it. I don't think Carson has. The, uh, the record says it himself. He was at a point where he was averaging like a turnover a game on, on fumbles. So he definitely obviously has to work on that, but it does help when you're not getting hit from uh, all different directions too. Uh, Football 4 powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Jeff Mosher is with us today, and uh, he will be back on Monday's show. Tomorrow it is Adam Kaplan in the Football at 4 hot seat, and Andrew DiCecco is back on Friday. And, of course, you can check out all their stuff at InsideTheBirds.com and every day at 4 o'clock right here during Football at 4. All right, Mosher, we'll talk again on uh, Monday. Sounds good, guys. Have a good one. All right, Jeff Mosher, like August, appeared to be the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Football at 4 in the books for today. But when we come back, it's another edition to Ask Mike and Broads. We'll answer your questions just like Jeff answered some of your Eagles questions. We will answer some of your whatever questions, sports, life, the world. Ask Mike and Broads on Twitter. Use the hashtag Ask Mike and Broads. And, of course, coming up at 5, it's the MGPT Top 5. At- the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. On 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, time for Ask Mike and Broads. Use the hashtag Ask Mike and Broads. You can get us on a variety of ways on social media, but the best way is the cesspool they call Twitter, at Broads81, at Mike Gill Show. Hashtag Ask Mike and Broads. These are your questions. We'll answer them here on the Sports Bash. All right, what do we got? Uh, This one is really interesting. When I saw this, I was like, damn, I love it. It's from Ibrahim, and I hope I am pronouncing that correctly. But yes, do you think if the Astros... Did he spell his name wrong? What's that? Did he spell his name wrong? No, I just want to make sure that I'm pronouncing it right. That's all. Sounded like Abraham, but he may be... Oh, no, no, no. It's not Abraham. It's Ibrahim. Okay. So I think. But yes, do you think if the Astros win another World Series in the next few years... It will make people forget about the cheating scandal that happened during 2017 through 2019. It's a great question. It is. Well, you know what will happen. It's just like the Patriots. You're always going to accuse them of cheating just in a different way. Right. There would be no way that people would have any idea on how it would happen. Like, there's no little cute little... I don't know, sticky notes telling you that they're doing this. You would just assume. You would find a way to say, well, they're cheating somehow. Right. There wouldn't be clues is what I was trying to get at. There, there would be never, no clues. Yeah, there will never, you will never give them the satisfaction of winning. So you will try to tear them down in a different manner. See, if they were to go on a stretch of, say, 40 years without winning, maybe, you know it's karma, but maybe it goes away. Well, but if they win. If they didn't win one for 40 years, you wouldn't say in the 40th year, hey, they cheated. Right, that's my point. So I think, to answer (laughs) his question, I think if they do win in the next few years, it will only bring back the conversation. It it wouldn't put it to rest. Oh, I know. I I agree. Like If they win one within like the next two or three years, I think people will make a joke. Like, oh, what they cheat this time? Like, not that it's fair. Now, do you think... How many guys are still on the team would be another question. Yes, that does play a factor. But do you think that the Houston Astros players, and, and you know, obviously we understand the circumstances. I'm not trying to downplay it. But do you think they're taking, like, a deep breath going, whew, we really escaped something brutal yes. for what was coming this year? Yes, but, you know, if you see on Twitter, like, some of the, you know, pitchers have said, like, hey, you know, hey, don't worry, I still have a fastball for your ear, you know, when we get back. So... Yeah, I think that the distraction did 
put some flames on that fire out a little bit, definitely. Especially because there's no fans in the stadium. I mean, that's what would be brutal. Every single stadium they would go to, they were getting ridiculed in spring, spring training, training and people had to be calmed down. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with you. I think that this definitely at least gave it a little room to breathe a little bit. Now, I feel as if that it's it's almost a shame. And what I mean by that is this is so historic and this is so crazy and this is on such a high level of cheating that I almost want it to be such a hot conversation and be such a hot topic because it's so impactful in the long run of sports and it almost doesn't get the the conversation that it deserves because of all this happening. Now, when it all happened, don't get me wrong, sports coverage all over the world clearly disgusted and went deep into it. But I feel like it should have been that multiplied by this entire season that would have played out and the story would have continued to grow. I think it would have, though. I definitely think that because the season got knocked off track, that the coverage of this got knocked off with it. No, no, I agree with you, but I'm saying I feel this story is so big that it deserves to be talked about way more than it did. Like, I want, I, I just, I feel like whatever would have happened this year. Well, guess what? They lucked out because even when they get back, there's going to be no fans to boo them. Well, what happens, say, say this year plays out and the following season occurs and everything's back to normal. Do oh, you man. think there'll be fans in the building booing with signs and getting all crazy about it? No. Not nope. at all? I think it will be somewhat forgotten. I mean, it's but like I, any it's like any athlete. You know, uh, so-and-so gets you know nailed for using steroids, and then he comes to bat the first time he's up, and he gets a standing ovation. But I can't support that. I can't. I want this to go on forever. It's too historic. doesn't matter that you don't support it. Most people forgive and forget. They move on. But don't you think this is a different scenario? You would need to go to Minute Maid Park yourself, draw up a sign and start booing and getting the crowd to support you. Because that's the way, the only way, you know, or wherever they are, Citizens Bank Park, and get the whole place to kind of, because I think most people are going to forget. And keep in mind, you'll be a couple of years removed from it, and now you're going to have different players on that team. You're telling me, the Houston Astros go to the New York Yankees stadium next season and there's fans in the building, that that's not going to be super hostile? Not as much as it would have been this year. That disappoints me. I want it to be brutal. I want them to go through this experience. They went through a pandemic. Haven't they gone through enough? No, not (laughs) after you buzz yourself up the bat. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. They had buzzers connected to them at the plate. And we're just going to let them get off easy. Hey, look, it's a weird situation where this thing actually kind of created a huge buffer for them to kind of sidestep it all. They they kind of sidestep, I think, the heat that was coming towards them because I think they were going to get it. So disappointing. Well, you know what I'm not disappointed about? The Philadelphia Flyers. And Matt asks... Well, actually, he kind of laid this up for us again. The Flyers finished 41-21-7, top four in the East. Were they appreciated enough before all this happened? Um, Fair question. No, they weren't. But they were getting there. And Vegas is now appreciating them because I just got the odds sent to me now that the playoff matchups, the playoff pairings have been set for the NHL. 
Philadelphia, of course, does not have a matchup because they're one of the uh, top four seeds. They have the fourth best odds in all of hockey to win the Stanley Cup. Back on March the 2nd, all right, they had 16 to 1 odds. They are now currently 8 to 1 to win the whole flipping thing. Boston's number one, Tampa's number two, Colorado's number three, Philadelphia, number four, Vegas, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Washington. Now, mind you, Philly is behind Washington in the standings, yet they have significantly better odds at eight to one than Washington at 15 to one to win it all. That is really interesting. And I wonder what is in play for that to happen. That is that's almost mind-boggling to think about. I mean, the Capitals, if you ask me right now, the Flyers had to go up against the Capitals. If you ask me, do you think that they get the job done? I mean, obviously there's a chance they would be in a battle, but I still think the Washington Capitals are an overall more experienced and better team at this point. Yeah, but I guess the reason that they are in that spot is that they were playing so well when, when this all ended. So it's like the most, you know, Washington was struggling a little bit Philadelphia was playing really well, so when this thing all ended, but I was surprised that they were the fourth best odds, and Washington wasn't even like the next team on the list. Yeah, that is definitely interesting. And, and to get back to the question, were they appreciated enough? I, I did feel a sense of the city kind of turning into back into that Flyers hockey. I mean, they were yeah. discussed every single day, every night. It was almost like, damn, they are continuing to do it. You don't know when it was going to fall off, but it continued to happen over and over and over again. And and it was just fantastic. You even said it yourself, you know, with Carter Hart, you made sure your ass was on the couch at seven o'clock to watch the Flyers. I mean, that's the type of impact that they had throughout the city. Oh, I and I said it all year that they were worth your time. All right. And worth your time became they are now not only worth your time just to check this kid out, they are worth investing in in terms of passion and getting behind and saying, I'm going along for the ride with this team. And one big thing that doesn't get talked about enough, you have personalities on this team that you can actually relate to. I mean, throughout the last seven, eight, nine years, yes, Claude Giroux was there and Voracek was there, and, and people definitely loved Wayne Simmons, no doubt, but... Travis Konechny, I think, is a player that people who might not dissect hockey X's and O's, you, you can relate to his personality and swagger on the ice. Kevin Hayes, I mean, he was an acquisition where people thought he was overpaid. And you know what? At the time, I thought the contract was a little bit hefty. But in free agency, you're going to pay that. But his personality, you can relate to. The head coach is a coach that you can actually relate to. And I think that is, is huge when it comes to grabbing this city back. Yeah, I mean, everything is kind of... When we had... Um, oh, what the heck's the GM's name? Um, Fletcher. Ron Hextall? <laughs> Fletcher. Ron, Ron Hextall? On the show uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, you're talking about Chuck Fletcher. I yeah, thought you were yeah, talking yeah. about the GM beforehand. No, okay. No, no. When we had Chuck. Chuck Fletcher on the show a couple of weeks ago, he talked about when they interviewed for the coaches that they interviewed... And he said, I don't need to interview anybody else. That guy's got to be our coach. So I'll give him credit for pinpointing and recognizing right off the bat that he was the right guy for the job. 
Absolutely. And I remember a lot of Flyers fans wanted to get Joel Quenville, which makes a ton of sense. I mean, the guy has had a, right. a lot of success. Ironically enough, he went to the Florida Panthers of all teams. I wonder if those damn taxes came into play. But <laughs> the, the second team uh, or the second coach that I really liked was Elaine Vigneault. And, and the thing with hockey coaches, though, we saw it with the uh, man. Why am I drawing a blank? He's in Nashville now. Uh, we got to play with some jam. Why am I drawing Peter a blank? Laviolette. Yes, Laviolette. They go through these spurts of like three, four years, and then their message runs dry, and then you get a new coach, and their message runs dry. And and that's kind of just like the nature of the beast in, in hockey. But when you get that first spark, and you go from Dave Hackstall, who was a, ugh, ugh, hate the face, boring. Hate and, the and, face. And you, oh, man. And you get Elaine Vigneault, who has some oomph under him. It was just a huge difference maker. So I think the personalities on this team, it just it's easier to grab onto. It's always easier to grab onto a team when they have a goalie. Well, that's also very true. And I'll tell you what, though, coming from a personality standpoint, it's not like the goalie has much. No, he doesn't. He is not <laughs> uh, the most, uh, you know. But guess what? That's fine. I mean, be the guy behind the mask. Hey, listen, from a... From a a good kid standpoint, and, and from the having the right mentality, properly making sure his body's right, taking on the professionalism of this sport, he has the right mindset. And you know what? I'll take that any day of the week. Yeah, I, I know. I'm definitely down with that. Uh, but it's a fun team. And to answer the guy's question, I think that right when this all ended, when this whenever got put on the pause button, the Flyers were flipping the script. Gil, when I say their record, it almost makes my mind blown. And, and that's saying a lot. 41, 21, and 7. It didn't feel that way. No. It really didn't feel that way. Right, they have 41 wins and they haven't even finished the season yet. I know. Well, I know. they didn't get to finish it. They have finished the season. Now they're going to go right to the playoffs. Yeah, it's crazy. So here's our next question from Thomas D. But you got to put on your sports fan cap because some of these questions that come in, you know, you're, you're more of the sports fan with some of the answers that need to be given. So I know that some time is a little bit tough for you. But out of all four Philadelphia teams, which is your favorite to sit down and watch? And what is your least favorite to sit down and watch every night? Um, I mean, nothing beats getting into a, an Eagles game. I mean, sitting there watching a football game. Last year, I would say the Sixers. I mean, I was so invested into the Sixers from the whole process and then on the outside. So I have been through the Sixers where I have been invested, you know, in the games. This season, not so much. I would have to agree. The Phillies, man, they have just been, I don't know if it's just, I don't like the style of baseball in today's world. I don't know what it is. I used to watch baseball Every day, start to finish, nine innings, all the time. Never missed a pitch, never missed a game. And the last couple of years, I just can't do it anymore. And I don't know why. So I would so say, I mean, what do you, it's tough. Am I, am I watching a Flyers game all three periods ahead of a Phillies game? I don't know. I mean, this Flyers seems a lot better. So you're going to go Eagles as your favorite and Flyers as your least favorite? Here's the thing. Even though something's your least favorite on this list, it doesn't mean you don't enjoy watching right. it. It's just where it falls with the other ones. Yeah, I mean, the Phillies, it depends who's pitching. 
Nick Pavetta doesn't no. get Nick your juices Pavetta's going? No, Nick pitching their laugh. Ooh, you want to hear a great Nick Pavetta story? It's actually not that great at all. I've told, I've told you how I've been crushing the condensed games of the Flyers, and I've actually been rolling through the condensed games of the Phillies as well with my coffee in the morning. I just let the 12-minute condensed games go. And the thing is, sometimes I don't remember what happened. So halfway through the sixth inning, I'm like, oh, damn, the Nationals are beating the Phillies 9-0. It's one of those, but I watch anyway. Like, what am I doing? But Nick Pavetta was on the bump. It was the first inning, no outs. Faces were loaded. He walks the guy. There's a double. I mean, the score was 5 nothing in the first inning with one out at one point. I'm like, all right, I do not miss this. But I watched it because it, it kind of it was entertaining to watch him pout like a little child. I mean, if I don't see Nick Pavetta toe the rubber one more time, I'll be all right. No, I mean, I'll go Eagles, Sixers, Flyers, Phillies for right now. Okay. See, I'm, I'm on the same page with the Eagles. When it comes to the Eagles, there's just something about that Sunday that really gets me going. I get the anxiety going because I'm just so nervous late in the fourth quarter. Like, I'm all about it. So it's <laughs> Eagles for me. And, and I think, and once again, this doesn't mean that I don't love watching them. But weirdly enough, I think the last on the list might be the Flyers, which is just crazy to say. Uh, yeah, you a hockey guy, me a baseball guy, and they're last on our list of things we get riled up to watch. Maybe that just shows how how interested we are in other sports over the sport that we grew up loving, you know? Yeah, most likely. I mean, I don't like the game of baseball the way it's being played. It's different from the game that I grew up playing. So I don't like the brand of baseball that we're currently watching right now. I just don't think it's a great brand of baseball. Back in my day. Yeah, I mean, all the other games, uh, I mean, I don't mind the brand of football. I don't mind the brand of basketball as much. I mean, I'm not like back in my day on those, but baseball, like, I'm not there to watch a home run derby. I'm not like all enthralled by a home run or an out or a strikeout. Like, I want to see baseball. So, that's why. Sports Pass live on 97.3 ESPN brought to you by Matt Black Kia. They want to get you approved today. That's Matt Black Kia, Black Horse Pike, Egg Harbor Township. Next hour, the MGPT Top 5 at 5. We have our five pairs that we want to see play in the next match. All right, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Broads at Broads81, at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. Uh, Joey D, by the way, earlier said that getting the whole guy in golf is the worst. He's worse than... The power play shoot guy. The power play shoot guy is so bad in the hockey community. Now, listen, I am not a big fan of the get in the hole guy either, but don't you think the mashed potatoes guy who screams from the from the tee box is probably worse than that? I can go with that. It's so bad. Like, in what world are you going to be just letting out mashed potatoes? Does he travel all over the place? Like, is he at a lot of the events, or is it just random? That's a great question. I wonder if, and you know how in baseball guy. there's the Marlins man, right? Yeah, The guy the, who sits behind home plate? He was at the Super Bowl. Exactly. He's everywhere. Now, I don't know if this mashed potatoes guy is the same guy or not. So he doesn't necessarily, it could be a different guy shouting mashed potatoes? Correct. I, I think it's different people at different events screaming mashed potatoes. And there's plenty of other words. I mean, it's not just mashed potatoes. You name it, someone's screaming it at the tee box. I just don't understand. Well, I haven't, uh, you know, I've never been to a 
I was at the U.S. Open a couple of years ago when it was outside of Philly, but I didn't actually go and watch the golfers play. I just happened uh, to be up there, and I was working at a radio station at the time, and I did my show from the pro the pro shop. I don't think so I've never been to an actual male. I've been to the LPGA many times, and I've never heard mashed potatoes uttered. <laughs> I don't think that for me personally, a golf event would be high on my list to go to. Oh, you'd love it. But see, I don't think that it would be that entertaining. I'm telling you, you would. You well, would maybe ch- because the beer prices are low. Well, that's a reason. That's a reason. I mean, but you don't just enjoy being outside, having a cold beer and just like enjoying the weather and just like it's just such a relaxing day. See, I would now that scenario played out at Citizens Bank Park. Absolutely, if I'm walking 18 holes and you can't really see, if if I want to watch Tiger and I got to watch Tiger play with 5,000 people trying to walk with me, that seems miserable. Well, yes and no. Okay, like if you're, I don't, I've never been to a a first off, I've never been to a major, but I've never been to a, a stop on the men's tour. I have been on the ladies' tour here many times. And there's big crowds. I'm not saying it's like, you know, not crowded, but it's just you're outside, you're having a beer, you're watching them play. They're just so precise with their shots. I mean, those ladies can, I mean, if you throw a a, a nickel on the green, they can put their ball right on the nickel every time. It's almost mesmerizing to watch them do it. Oh, I'm not doubting that at all. And I think a smaller crowd would be way more entertaining because you can actually see what's going on. But I was picturing, you know, here's the 18th hole of a major and and Brooks Kepka's teeing off and you're trying to see what's going on. I mean, how could you possibly see through that mess? Yeah, you got to get there early. But like, you know, for the LPGA, you get on the 18th green, you sit, you know, up in that little 18th green area and you just watch them deliver. Boom, right on the green. Boom, right on the green. Boom, right on the green. It's like they're throwing it there. Maybe I'll join you in PT. Now I'm inviting myself, but maybe I will. Absolutely. I tell everybody, it is one event you have to go to once, and then you'll be back every year. I'm not doubting that. This year, what is it? Saturday, the 20. 29th? Well, no, because PT mentioned a Sunday night football game for the Eagles. Yeah, well, it's all week. It starts Thursday. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. I think it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it's like the 28th, 29th, and 30th, or somewhere in that range of September 1st week of... It's like the 29th, 30th, 31st, or something like that. Uh, Speaking of PT, he's next. And speaking of golf, our golf pairs coming up next.